Hello, friends. This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. Thank you for joining us for this amazing episode. I'm excited about the conversation you're about to listen to because this is just one that I, I really walked away from uh, with a real great thought of, of somebody who had a, a really deep conversation, not just about analytics, but much more. Anyways, before we get started and talk about Rick Hall, let's talk about the sponsors of our episode. I'm very proud to say that we are sponsored by our good friends at Veeam Software. Now, Veeam Software is the ultimate in your enterprise everything data protection need company. This is the place where if you need to back your cloud up, back your on-premises environment up, your physical servers, your cloud native environment, even your SaaS. That's right, folks, you're supposed to back that SaaS up. And you're also supposed to make sure that you protect your cloud native environment because if you're not doing that 12-factor thing, guess what? So thankfully, they've got a really, really great thing that they've done with the recent purchase of a company called Kasten. Super exciting, uh, definitely worth a look. So please do head over, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and you can find out all about everything you need for your data protection needs in the enterprise, in the SMB, you name it. Super cool, big friends, longtime fans. Also, uh, very proudly sponsored by the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. If you're at all involved in product management, product marketing, sales, technical sales, this is a fantastic resource that will help you to be able to better engage and connect with your customers and prospective customers. So if you go to velocityclosing.com and you can hear, that's right, yours truly, because I'm the author of this book. It's This is a system that I've used and, and learned over time. Uh, so you can go in, you can download the ebook right now. You can get an audiobook. And in fact, we've got an upcoming course so you can actually get interactively involved with me to learn about the system and the tools and the techniques that I use to better engage with people. So go to velocityclosing.com to find out more. All right, back to the fun. Let's talk about Rick Hall. Rick Hall was an amazing person. We had a great conversation. Uh, Rick's a software entrepreneur. Uh, he's focused on analytics. He's the CEO of a company called Aginity. And we talk about kind of their the approach to analytics, the importance of it. The, we talk about a ton of great stuff in the business, operating a team, an absolute must listen. Uh, Rick was a fantastic uh, conversation. So enjoy this and have fun. This is Rick Hall. I'm the CEO of Genity Corporation, and uh, you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast. With that, we jump right in. Uh, so, Rick, thank you very much. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about because you have uh, a lot that you can bring to what the folks that I listen to and talk to uh, are really interested in. And one of my favorite things is I've I've obviously followed a lot of the stuff that you've done and and your what your the way you describe your story and the company story is really neat. But you talk about your career being at the the merger of innovation and like you like these this interesting idea of being into innovation but where analytics and innovation meet and so yeah. i i don't want to i don't want to butcher the story because i know you've told a lot of it very well but anyways let's get started by if you want to introduce yourself uh to folks and and maybe as well where they could find you online if they wanted to get in contact 
Yeah, great. Thanks, Eric. First of all, I uh, really appreciate the time to, uh, to chat with you today and, you know, love to talk to your audience. Um, so, you know, I'm uh, the CEO of Agenity uh, Corporation. Uh, really, uh, we purchased that company with a company that I had founded called Karen Corporation uh, earlier this year. So there's a little bit of a history of Agenity uh, along with my own history. So I've been in the data and analytics space for, for a long time, for my entire career, uh, which I am going to try to avoid telling you how long that actually is, but it's a while. Uh, and uh, but I came into it, I came into it on the business side. So uh, actually, from a nonprofit where I was working, you know, back when I came out of college, and I was trying to convince uh, the leadership to automate our membership and how we tracked uh, who we uh, who our constituents were. And then finally, one day, the the executive director said, "Oh, oh just shut up and go do it." Um, and that really kind of got me both directly into the uh, technology space from, you know, kind of coming at, uh, let's call it the business side, and directly into data. And, uh, you know, from the beginning, it seems like it's always been about data uh, and about how you can use data to influence uh, decisions. And uh, so that's kind of where I spent my career. I think of it as... Uh, at the intersection of data and innovation, because there is so much change going on. And, uh, you know, I had the fortune to be part of uh, a number of the changes in the space. And I think, you know, some exciting stuff we're doing at Agenity. Yeah. In the, when people talk today about, you know, data is the new oil or, or whatever the, the sort of phrasing that they want to attach to it, uh, I've, if this is not a new thing, it's been there the longest time. It's just that we've we've learned better ways in which we can uncover insight from that data. And I think that's really the we we talk about leaving, you know, we're information was it said data rich, but information poor. In that we've got all this stuff and we are we're basically like we're the same way we leave money on the table in a deal, we're leaving innovation or information on the table in this incredible pool of data. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, data, of course, is, is everybody talks about how it's doubling, you know, kind of uh, every year or so in terms of the amount of data out there. Uh, and we've certainly been using data to drive decisions for a long time. So when I started in the, you know, kind of in the nonprofit space, it was just like, who are our members? When do they need to renew? And what makes them renew? It's a very kind of seems like a simple question, but it's a data driven question, right? Um, and now, you know, so many of our businesses are, you know, powered by data. And, uh, uh, but as data has become kind of part of the central nervous system of businesses, its value and need for it to be right at the cutting edge has, has really grown. And there's just this great example sitting right in front of us today about both the importance and the challenge, which is around this kind of terrible COVID experience we're all kind of going through. And if you think about it, uh, if you're the head of a sales or a retailer, you know, kind of a year ago, uh, you had probably gotten to the point where you had a lot of data about your sales, about who your customers were, about what you're selling by store, what kind of products sell and impact other products, et cetera. You know, and along comes COVID, right? And uh, uh, with it, a complete change in your business model. You know, people are now wanting to pick up instead of come into store, depending on what kind of products, some things they care about more and some less. And you need to 
take that into account. And there's new data. So what are the rules around, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of what you can do? There's the data about testing and how much, uh, you know, exposure there is. And all this is now important because your sales are now different than what they were like a week ago. And so, you know, you go to your head of infrastructure and data and say, hey, I need to, you know, kind of take this data into account now because it's impacting all my decisions. And, you know, he's got this data pipeline and process that, you know, is cranking out today. But now you throw a wrench into the works, not you, but the world is throwing a wrench into the works and you're needing this other data and, and he or she has got to figure out how to do it. And, you know, his or her answer to you is I can do it in six months. Uh, and, uh, but you've got to make decisions now, right? So, you know, we're, we're in this world where data is part of every process almost. Uh, and, uh, but the imperative to use it in a world of constant change is just upping the ante in terms of what we need to be able to do. You definitely brought up the most important thing of we've we've always wanted and sort of aimed, I think, to be more real time, to be more data driven uh, organizations, large and small, have always hoped they could do this. But we never like we never had that thrust that like was going to just force us to do that fundamental to the way that we operate the business. I never want to say that what we're going through right now has a is positive, but the lessons from it need to be positive. And I think one of the things we've learned is that more businesses now respect the power of that data and being able to use it to drive business behavior. And now through that, like, you know, we've got margins that we've got to lower. We've got a fundamental change in our audience and our customer experience. It's just like, there's so much stuff. And so I think a lot of people that would have been like, yeah, the data is great, but they really used it for confirmation bias, not to yeah. actually make decisions in advance. So how have, how have you seen that adjustment in like leaders of organizations in the sudden realization like, okay, we've talked about this for a while, but we have to do this now. So, so I think that, you know, kind of as, as you said, Eric, you know, there's, there's been this evolution in our use of data, right? And I do think that, you know, kind of over the past, you know, say decade, uh, companies have actually gotten pretty good at using data. Um, you know, so in my retail example, you know, retail, it actually, you know, you think about grocery, I mean, it's a data-driven innovation, right? Every single store, every shelf, every day, having all the right product on that shelf at that time, that's all about data. But uh, the importance to be able to react and change in real time, that's, I think, where a lot of the kind of cutting edge stuff is today. And I actually think it requires kind of a shift in the paradigm of how we build data and analytics into our business, where, uh, you know, kind of this process that makes these grocery stores run efficiently um, is an engineered process. And, uh, you know, it takes time to engineer these data processes and enormous amounts of complexity and, you know, kudos to the people who make that work. Uh, but those engineered processes, they can't adopt in real time, right? So I actually think we're moving to this interesting world where, you know, the ability to use data quickly 
almost promotes what I would call almost a biology paradigm. Uh, a business has actually got to be able to react and evolve to its data kind of at the point of use. Uh, and uh, the engineering of that is going to kind of come out of the evolution as opposed to, you know, back to my earlier example of, you know, waiting six months. I mean, the, the head of sales at that grocery store, I can tell you, wasn't waiting six months for the guys to take into account the data. He was turning to an analyst on his team and he was saying to her, hey, I need you to go get this data and figure out how to do something. And she was doing it offline in Excel uh, <laughs> yes. as opposed to part of the corporate infrastructure. And I think tying those things together, the ability to evolve quickly in this kind of almost biology paradigm versus like this pure engineering paradigm, that's, uh, I think, where a lot of the evolution in our industry is happening now. There's a, an, I'll say, I'll describe it myself as an unfortunate amount of businesses whose heart and soul is Microsoft Excel, just because there's so much real, it was the ease of doing things with a data set. And then, hey, they got out of control. I've, I've been in organizations where we literally had, like we as an IT ops team were having to fight with like intraday backups of Excel workbooks that were two gigabytes. Yeah, And I would say like, what are we doing here? So well, these are modeling for equity trades. Yeah. Like we very much are using the wrong platform for what we're doing here. And it, but as I'd say the people that were doing it are what we now describe as data scientists right. and the people that are building models, they didn't go out to do it in this platform, but that was just the only place they could go because they had quick, easy access. It was on your desktop. You could launch it. And so we started to misuse it. But now I think we've learned that, okay, we can take that model approach and now let's move it into other places. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing, right? So I've kind of played on, on all sides of this, you know, kind of before I took on the CEO role of Agenity, um, I had been a CTO of a big retail operations uh, organization, you know, and kind of owning all that infrastructure and those data processes and the engineered stuff that we wanted to all work perfectly. And I've had roles on kind of both sides of the, of the equation. Uh, and I've seen how these companies have these hundreds or thousands of people using Excel. And, you know, so, you know, kind of, it, it really kind of becomes part of Agenity. What we're trying to do today is to recognize, hey, the innovation that's happening at the edge uh, is important innovation. And uh, um, the fact that we're trying to build these industrial processes on the back end um, is really super important. But we also have to recognize this innovation and speed at the edge is critical. And if we can find a way to meld these two things together, you know, that's critical to success. I mean, you know, Excel and spreadsheets in general, it, it's a, it, they're a miracle innovation themselves, right? You <laughs> know, true, yeah. for those of us in the IT space, you know, we like look at them as this rogue, you know, kind of technology that people are crunching out gigabytes of data in. But I think what we have to do is look at them as this is where innovation at the edge is happening. Um, and how do we understand how innovation 
with data and analytics at the edge ties into these big engineered processes we need to we need to build. It it's kind of funny when you talked about that. It made me immediately think like I so I my like ops hat is on, right? And I first second thing is like, oh, you're basically it's like shadow IT, this whole concept of like they are, and I said they like my customers, my business users are, I would feel like I'm always describing as like misusing a platform. But right. like, no, what they're doing is they're getting business done with whatever tools they have available that, that right. are that are there. So they're ex doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Right? They, they are, and, you know, but at the same time, you know, if you are running data ops and particularly, you know, kind of in the time period, probably where you and I grew up, where you had a fixed amount of infrastructure and compute, um, you know, if we couldn't handle the randomness of innovation and so, you know, this conflict has has existed. But I actually think that something that has really happened here in the past couple of years and we haven't fully taken advantage of yet is what the cloud and elastic infrastructure has done. And if you take cloud and elastic infrastructure and its implementation in these super powerful data platforms. So you think about Snowflake or Amazon Redshift or Microsoft Synapse or you know Hive, et cetera. These platforms now are tremendously scalable um, and elastic. And uh, so you know the time period where you and I probably grew up where we didn't have that as an IT organization. We bought a certain amount of compute. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was based on a plan for how much data we were going to crank through it. And if people wanted to do more compute, we had to, we pushed them away, right? So it's like, okay, you, we, we thought of it as the rogue query, right? You know, That's right. <laughs> crazy business users running a rogue query. Now, what a rogue query is to IT is something we didn't plan for. What it is to the business is somebody's trying to answer a question. Now, sometimes they make a mistake. But oftentimes they're actually trying to answer a question. So, with, with this elastic compute uh, that we have today and these very scalable platforms, uh, now we can, can start to think about how can we bring that compute and innovation that these analysts are doing at the edge back into our structure so we can make it shareable and reusable, et cetera. Um, and that's kind of you know, what we do at Agenity is we build a tool set for both uh, a data engineer and a business analyst to be able to collaborate. Because we think that both of these paradigms are super critical. We need the analyst to be able to innovate quickly, to write a query that they didn't anticipate they needed and merge it with a data set that they didn't even have or didn't even exist a month ago. Uh, and uh, we need the, the data engineers to be able to build these robust pipelines that calculate these core amounts of data. And we have to figure out if we can make these two things live together, uh, we can potentially, uh, you know, kind of evolve uh, businesses in a, in a different way. Well, and the interesting, the, this beautiful merger of, you know, cart and horse, where we don't know when that innovation barrier was crossed that allowed us to do the thing, or did we force the innovation to occur? Obviously, you talked about like the cloud scale providers. 
And that really unlocked this idea because as you said, when, when we came up in the environments, you were bound by physical limitations of hardware and logical limitations of software on that hardware. So you had all sorts of, of barriers. We were, Moore's law was, was well known and understood. Uh, and it also had, there was a storage version effectively of, of that in that we could, but the data was catching up. Yeah. And we also had this interesting thing where in, in my first years was going to a company and working in the distributed systems area when it was brand new distributed system, there was like 20 servers and yeah. one mainframe. Right. And they looked at me and they talked to me like, I was like, Oh, there's that, that weird kid that's doing that distributed stuff. Don't worry. It's a fad, you know, cause the, the lifeblood of the business was in the data warehouse, in the mainframe, in batch jobs and, and, and all this stuff. There wasn't a real time, use of that data at that time and then as the distributed grew evolved then so did the business catch up to it well now we have cloud capabilities and and all these fantastic platforms that we can use there's effectively no limit other than cost like it's basically spend is the next real limit on how you use those platforms sure sure and you know it is i'm sure you know you know the the ability to estimate a cloud budget is like a dark art, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. When I was a CTO, like, you know, trying to figure out what's my, you know, I'm going to commit to Azure, or we were committing to Azure, it could have been Amazon or Azure, or, you know, Google, or even IBM in this stage. Uh, but uh, uh, figuring out how much you're going to actually spend, that is, you know, kind of, it's a big challenge. Um, so, you know, I think that's going to evolve, but I do think that this, the, the existence of elasticity, as you say, there were physical limits, there were logical limits, you know, we were all limited, we built data infrastructure, you could kind of, you know, you think about it now, like, you know, kind of the next generation, you know, we're going to be like, you know, like our parents were like, I got a half a stick of gum and I had to walk, you know, <laughs> in the snow, right, you know, like, that's the way they're going to think of us. And like, we had to live in this world where we had to buy a certain amount of hardware and that's all the hardware we could have. And then our databases could only get so big and they're going to look at us like we're, you know, like dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and figuring out how to, these things to get together really is challenging. Now, I don't think companies have actually grasped how to manage and implement in this world. And again, kind of that's where we sit at Agenity to provide these kind of tools that bridge this gap. But, you know, it's interesting. I was sitting down recently with uh, the head of analytics at one of the top five retailers, you know, on the, on the planet. And, uh, and they're like, okay, well, what's the best practice, you know, for how to do this? And, uh, you know, we had a long talk. I think we have some ideas about it, but, you know, kind of there isn't a published paradigm out there that says this is how you go about it. You know, we had uh, normalized data when we started out and we got to a data warehouse and we had this, you know, kind of we thought it was this big ideological battle between Inman and Kimball or how right. we design a data warehouse. Um, but it was a it was a it was a defined theory. Um, and now we live in this world where we're saying, okay, we're not going to have ETL. So we're not going to put the data in this defined structure 
and then use it. We're just going to put the data in the data in the data platform, and then we're going to transform it at use. Well, what the heck is my model for that, right? So, as the head of infrastructure, do I just put the data there and let chaos reign? You know, give a thousand users a query tool and then see what the hell they do? Uh, I think that's a really interesting, uh, you know, kind of uh, place where a lot of the problem uh, is going to evolve uh, right now. What and you you raise a really neat thing of the evolution of the function and the people function inside there, where you had business units that had specific goals and and data that they needed to derive their directional business information. You had ETL teams. So I was at one organization. We had literally like 20 people and they were in the ETL group. And most people, when you ask them, what do they do? They're like, it was even difficult to describe, you know, because people just didn't understand like, well, the data is there. Like, well, it's there, but it's not usable in its current form. And then we would realize each business unit, especially when you acquire a company, all of a sudden you've got new data styles, new format, new platforms. And we had to bring all these things together with these crazy shims and transformations. But like you said, now, a lot of that stuff's happening far closer to the yeah. query itself rather than in the back end where you just keep carving out cubes. And, you know, I remembered seeing people do that. It's like, oh, sorry, data's not there. It's, it's running on a batch job every night at 11. So you get up to date data in the morning. And we've so moved away from that towards much more in the real time adaptive query type of environment. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, right? Because you think about those big engineer data architectures that we built. And by the way, I spent a lot of years building them and I'm really proud of that work. And I really love the engineers who do that and those still need to exist. But um, once we got to the end result, it was our cube or, you know, depending on what, how we're delivering the data, um, anything that everybody did after that, that was out of our world. We didn't worry about it, right? They might do it in Excel. We might hate that, but it wasn't our problem. It wasn't on our infrastructure, wasn't using our compute. Uh, we, you know, we're very clear that we were not in charge of the backups of their data. I mean, I guess you were at some point, but the, uh, uh, that was out of our world. Now, uh, when we put the data in the platform, we're going to give them tools that lets them transform. Now, guess what? We're going to bring their work into our platform. So how are we going to do that in such a way that we can then have some governance around it, right? Have some ability to manage it, you know, kind of uh, that same conversation I had with the, the, this uh, retail CTO. He says, look, we have 25 different ways to measure coupon count. And if we have 25 different ways, well, at least 24 of them are wrong, <laughs> right? And we're making decisions that are, you know, probably incorrect um, off of this, uh, you know, world. And it's because of the kind of crazy world of evolution and how things happen downstream, right? But if we're going to empower the business users to innovate on our platform and scale that out, then we need governance. Uh, we need a way to, you know, figure out what's overlapping to catalog and collaborate, right? So, and that's one of the things that, that we do at Agenity. We build this tool set uh, that, that is called Agenity Pro and Premium, and it centers around this catalog, which is about collaboration of core analytic content, right? So, 
when you define a pipeline or you define a way to calculate uh, return on investment or uh, coupon count, that that can become a promoted shareable analytic. And uh, how to collaborate around that is critical because we want those analysts now. They have to innovate at the speed of business. Coronavirus happened to them just like it happened to us, happened to everybody. They got to figure out how to stock the store and they got to stock the store in a world where history, you know, two years of history of sales, it's just not that relevant to, you know, how you're selling tomorrow. So your model that's been built on that two year perfect history now has to change and they're going to have to figure that out. We have to let them figure it out if we don't let them figure it out in our platform and in a way that they can collaborate, then they're gonna keep doing it in Excel because uh, they gotta make these decisions. So I think that's a really interesting thing is that, okay, we've got this scalable infrastructure now, these elastic computing, uh, we've, we've said we don't want ETL anymore, so we're not gonna do all the transformations in advance of putting the data out there. Now the data is there. Now we got you know lots of people who can be empowered to use it, and we've got to turn those empowered users into a collective that will uh, create consistent value. And that's why I think of it as a biology paradigm, right? Because I think of all those uh, those people downstream, the business analysts, as uh, you know they're in a race to evolve, right? And uh, they're all going to do their thing, and we have to have a way to evolve to, okay, well, guess what? This is how we're going to calculate uh, the virus impact uh, on our sales, and I'm going to promote that, and it's going to, you know, it's going to, uh, it, it's going to evolve evolutionary, you know, to, to become the, you know, kind of the, the, the central way of, of doing things, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting part of the time we're in. You know, we see uh, uh, companies that have thousands of business analysts, uh, and they have, if they're lucky, hundreds, probably tens, of data engineers. So, what's the chance the data engineer is going to keep up to them unless the data engineer can collaborate with them? Is is zero, right? So. Uh, you know, and those those business analysts, data analysts, right? They they went to school, they got a business degree, uh, and uh, they get hired uh, by a company in almost any industry. You're going to find these people in the department of sales or finance or operations, uh, and they're told, by the way, that their job is going to be to be an analyst, right? And that's like sounds pretty darn cool, right? You know, like, <laughs> it sounds gonna, great. <laughs> I'm going to be involved in the making the decisions that drive our business. You know what they do? They crunch data, right? They're, they spend 80% of their time pulling data from the corporate data warehouse, figuring out how to retransform it into whatever answer they need. Um, and they don't, they're not engineers, so they're not great programmers. Uh, maybe they learn a bit of SQL, uh, but uh, you know, figuring out how to, you know, to help this group you know, I, I saw something, IBM did a, uh, a study about a year and a half, a couple of years ago, about how many job openings there were for, uh, for data scientists, right? It was like, okay, there are 3 million job openings for data scientists in the U.S. or some of that, but that was the number they were quoting, right? And the U.S. creates 170,000 of them, right? 
you know, a year, right? It's like, okay, so, and, but the, but the essence of their paper is how are we going to go from 170,000 to 3 million? I got an answer for you. We're not, <laughs> right? You know, we are not going to, so we better figure out how to empower the people who are not engineers, who are not trained as data scientists. We got to create tools that allow them to do their work and to collaborate with the engineers who have more technical experience because unless we can do so, we just can't keep up with the amount of data and the demand. Yeah, and you you end up with this challenge where we as a as businesses can't keep up with the requirements and we as technologists can't keep up with the need and the demand. So but in absence of supply, demand still has to get satisfied. Right. And so it'll get satisfied in Excel or in other processes or by folks that aren't traditionally in the background. And what you often find is the person that's in like a sales ops or, or uh, you know, something in the, in the ops side or in any part of the organization, you may find the administrative assistant for the office of the executive is in fact a de facto data scientist in right. what what they are doing to feed that team with the yeah. information they need based on what they have available to them. Totally. Totally. You see that? I think, I think that's the, you know, that's everywhere. Right. And uh, um, you know, and because these people and their roles, right. Are in the business departments, they're not all in it. They're not all in one place. Their title says, you know, administrative assistant or communications coordinator or, you know, maybe sales operations, which gives you a hint that that's about data, right? It doesn't say data in their title, right? But that's that. And so, you know, I think the industry has kind of missed them, right? And, uh, you know, except for the fact that we disdain that they're working in Excel, right? You know, right, yeah. we, you, that, that's the one thing on the technology side, we all uniformly disdain Excel, even though, of course, it's uh, maybe one of the greatest software innovations of, uh, uh, you know, ever, right? But um, it's uh, so, you know, kind of, we, we need to bring them back into our world. We need to help them uh, because there they're, they're aren't enough, uh, you know, PhD data scientists out there uh, to solve the, the problem. Yeah, and I think, so what do we have right now in that shift where just like we often have in society, where there's a, a sudden sensation of a rapid demand increase, whether it's doctors, teachers, whatever it's going to be. And then you have a five-year program to churn those people out. But generally, that's they're not ready to go waiting for their new major. They're in you know second year. They're sophomores thinking about what the future is. And they read in the paper that there's a huge demand for X. Yeah. So they are now six years from actually doing that thing. And they come out of that six year experience out of a four year, very expensive program. And they find out that everybody else got there before them. Is there a chance that we are in four years going to have way too many data scientists that are pouring out of the programs? I'm, I'm curious what your thought is on how the, yeah. how the educational institutions are adjusting to that requirement. I, you know, I, well, first I want to say, I don't know, I have no idea, but I'll give you, I'll give you some thoughts, which, you know, you can, uh, uh, are probably worth what you paid for them. Uh, 
the uh, um, I think that anytime you think we're going to create one narrow goal, you're probably going to miss, right? You know, uh, my I started my career in consulting, and uh, my mentor taught me um, that not to hire for a skill, uh, but to hire for an ability to learn, right? Because he would say, look, the only thing I can be certain of right now is whatever you're working on today is going to be different in a year and a half. And so if I'm hiring you just because you have a great ability to do a machine learning algorithm and do that with data, I think you're, you know, you run a pretty big risk. Uh, but if you, if, if you said, we're going to learn about, uh, you know, uh, data, uh, we're just going to learn how to talk about data, how data lineage works, you know, kind of some more fundamental things. And we're going to be open to learn, I think, then, you know, kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're well positioned. Um, what's interesting is that it's not what, the only thing that's interesting. One interesting thing to me is, well, when I started my career, I was doing database programming. So, yeah, I learned SQL because uh, that's how you, you know, wrote databases. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, throughout for a long time, you know, being able to write SQL and build databases, you know, it was a, a pretty big and growing thing. And then, you know, kind of when data science kind of came along and became the hot thing, like, ah, SQL, you know, we're going to write Python, uh, you know, or whatever, right? Uh, and what's interesting now is people are realizing actually SQL is a great language to manipulate data. And it's not terribly hard to learn. And if you can, you know, kind of mix uh, SQL with tools that are a little bit more focused on the business problem and then create some kind of collaboration around it, I think there's a lot of a lot of possibility. So the only thing I would say for sure is I don't have any idea what the jobs of the future look like. Um, I can only be confident that they don't look like what we think they're going to look like. And that the most important thing is uh, having this kind of learning uh, mentality, right? You know, if you think about what you learned when you were in college or what I learned when I was in college, none of the stuff we're working on now was, you know, existed, right? Uh, and so, you know, it's it's the ability to learn that's become this, the innate skill and cu the curiosity to do so. Uh, that I think is the important thing. And we'll end up with, I think, a uh... I'll say a spectrum of skills that will come together to become a, a department of data in a sense in these organizations. There was a fellow that I worked with. He was our, like the DBA, which I remember that was like a big thing when you were the DBA, he was like the head DBA and is a fantastically smart person would probably not have passed a Turing test. This gentleman was buried in data and he could do things that would were just mind blowing with how we would you know manage manage the data environment wallpaper of uml diagrams and all this crazy stuff like that incredible skill and then a team of people with varying levels of capabilities and backgrounds that sort of allowed them to work together and, and come up with a, a data schematic and a direction for the business yeah yeah. What we're going to see now is that, you know, so what is the, when, when you, when someone says to you, Rick, I, I'm hiring a data scientist, what should I look for? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I, I think it's curiosity the problem first, right? You know, kind of there, you know, kind of, I, if I had to oversimplify it, which is a massive oversimplification, on uh, one end of the spectrum, you have the pure math scientists, data scientist types, and they're really interested in the algorithms and how to manipulate the algorithms. And they probably don't really actually care about the problem they're working on, right? And the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are super curious about the problem and the, you know, that they're trying to solve, right? And, uh, and they know enough data science to understand which problems, which tools to bring to solve that problem. You know, I favor the, 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 the latter. There is a place for the pure, uh, the purist, right? But, uh, you know, the curiosity about the problem is kind of a critical fundamental aspect of data sciences because I think a lot of it is. Uh, I don't think that applying the algorithms is always the hard part, uh, but figuring out which algorithms to apply to which problem and where to get the data is uh, is is super important. And you know, I think curiosity about the business, passion for um, you know the outcome, uh, is uh, what I would say is paramount. It sounds from that description that the the data science is the the science is actually unlocking the business insight data and the algorithm is a method to get there. So we don't want someone who's going to be arguing over the purity of the schema and the algorithm. We want to find somebody who's going to be able to rapidly understand is business value coming from what I just put into this algorithm. Yeah, yeah, Eric, you put it better than I did, right? You know, that's that that's what it's all about. When when you look back at your own career and you've seen the evolution in, you know, obviously with with bringing agility into the Cairn Corporation and and seeing your own experiences and the people you've worked with you and I, we can sort of laugh about the things we talked about in the past, but they really do help to influence the patients to do new things. So when you bring a new person onto your team that doesn't have the 30, 20, we know whatever years of like having relived iterations of what data looked like, what do you look for, you know, aside from just pure curiosity, like how how do you how do you feel about them yeah. having no history, but yet suddenly coming into a problem that is very historical. Yeah. So, so the first thing is that I love that fact, right? It's like one of the things that's great about going back and being a CEO of a small startup again. And I've kind of gone through that all the way up to running a you know, couple hundred million dollars of a big corporate part of a business is that I love getting back to the innovation thing. I mean, it's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a uh, bittersweet sort of uh, combination, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you get all these young, you know, people around who don't necessarily have this understanding of the past, right? And you know, I think that first of all, I look at my role as my job is to help shepherd them, mentor them. You know, almost not everybody, but much many more of the people in my company come are younger. Than uh, you know, than myself, of course, than myself, but certainly uh, don't have as much experience. So you have to be able to, you know, kind of share insights uh, and uh, uh, you know, and mentor people so that they'll figure it out. Now, the thing about it, which I think Eric, you're kind of hitting on, is that 
people aren't always ready to take those insights, right? And you have to be kind of patient that you might know the problem they're going to run into, uh, but you can't you can't always tell them, uh, you know, because I mean you could try telling them, but they're just not ready to hear it, right? So you have to figure out how to give them a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of direction and uh, uh, and then kind of evolve with them. And, you know, kind of if you can help kind of give them, you know, enough crumbs in front of them, uh, you know, a little bit more information to get there, then they will then they will get there. You know, I uh, before after I left the CTO job and you know, on, on my path to starting uh, Karen and then buying Agenity, I spent some time uh, working as a, as a product consultant. And I spent a year working with the Silicon Valley startup. And, you know, I was flying out to Silicon Valley and meeting with all their people. And I got to tell you, that was a culture clash, right? Because they're like the young engineers and they couldn't be told anything by, you know, some old guy, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, so that risk exists, but I think that, you know, it's a fun challenge to, uh, you know, offer insight, to give them a little bit of direction, to mix these different age groups together. So we have a spectrum, um, that, uh, that's, that's really important. You know, at the end of the day, you want people to have passion for each other and to be open to collaboration. And if they're not, then you're never going to get anywhere. But, um, I don't think you can just tell them what the answer is. Because uh, I think that, first of all, you might be wrong. Uh, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, what, what the answer was 10 years ago may very well not be the answer today, right? Often it's not. Yeah, the this is the interesting thing, too, is the the responsibility of the data that we have access to and using it to move towards data-backed decisions without number one confirmation bias which is quite often what we do is we, we we go seeking the data that will get us to the decision we've yeah. already made just make sure that my boss won't fire me because i can say the data told me it was okay yeah but even sort of not concerning but challenging is the take the confirmation of the confirmation bias just pure bias right the the data we have may not necessarily be indicative of sort of the broader sense of the world and, and customer base and whatever. So we're pulling a lot more data in now. And I think as organizations, we have a much greater responsibility with um, what we do with it and how we yeah. care for that data when yeah. it's in our ownership, right? Yeah, you know, and I, I probably don't have, you know, tremendous insight on how this problem is going to evolve, but I think you're hitting on something that's really important, right? Because I think we realized maybe only in the past couple of years that we might have a historical data set that actually is going to produce a model with bias built in, right? So it's going to produce the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the white male engineer who went to, you know, a certain school as the obvious candidate um, to hire because that's all the ones you hired before were like that. So the model told you that's who succeeds, right? And uh, I think that's a, you know, a tremendous, uh, you know, kind of concern, right? A valid concern that people are raising right now, super valid, you know, so I don't think that, 
we should be letting you know the algorithms rule the world right uh, i think that you know we have to understand the context of data which i think is kind of what you're getting at the context of data and the history of that context is just as important as what the algorithm says and we have to be aware of like you know who would have thought that uh data has built-in bias unconscious bias in data like right. you know that isn't something that we would have thought existed but i think people have shown here recently it does exist and we do need to be concerned about it what i do appreciate that i think we're getting better at is understanding that we don't get better by not doing we get better by doing more uh and there was a an unfortunate sort of I'll say like an, an elastic effect, a bit of a backlash that happens where we say like the data is broken, bias is baked in, we have to start from scratch. Like, no, 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 let's use this, but uh, evolve our collection, evolve our use, try and un, you know unfurl some of the biases and, and remove them from the data. Because the data itself, even though it may be sort of more centered on our a demographic or whatever, it's still very valuable. And I think, yeah. in fact, if anything, it's kind of like speech, right? The the way to combat difficult speech is with more speech is to have dialogue. And, and so more data effectively would help us to build better models, build yeah. and test algorithms. And uh, it's- yeah. uh, I hope that's true about speech, I, by the way. The problem that- It uh, gets us there. Oh, right? sorry, I lost you for a second there. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, uh, I hope you're right about the speech thing, but yeah, I think it's interesting about data. You know, there's there's this whole thing about, you know, are the machines going to replace the people, right? And you know, a lot of anxiety. And let's face it, there's been a lot of automation that has left, uh, you know, uh, uh, not a great wake in terms of uh, uh, how people are employed. But the uh, um, uh, I'd like to think that the data and even models really should be tools to inform people so that those people can use that and still make better decisions, right? The decisions, I think there are some cases where, you know, let the machine all, go all the way to a decision, but I think a lot more power happens when that's just a way to summarize, you know, kind of information and provide input into a process where, you know, humans are, are deciding. Um, what what to do yeah and and i really you know i do hope that we like get more people involved in the opportunity for how to learn how to to get involved with data how to find insight because we have to continue to test we have to get more people to understand like you said sql i've you and i have been around long enough to know that we've we've had teams of people waiting for sql to go away you know it was like all about at one point it was all about unstructured data no sql is going to rule the world and the yeah. web developers were like i only want no you know unstructured data like well, what are you trying to do yeah. and they in fact realized that in the end their true business requirement was being thrown to the side for the the shiny new object which has a very valid purpose Sure, but we're going to see multiple data structures come together, and SQL as a query language ultimately is a fantastic way to even sometimes in unstructured data 
with key value stores and different ways of storage and metadata management. Still pretty cool that you could actually sort of front end it and uh, and I know it's funny looking at over Agenity's capabilities and and what your what the platform's doing is neat that it brings collaboration yeah. to the process instead of well that's you know that's Joanne and she's our SQL you know expert you're like well no we it's Joanne has fed the system so we're all SQL experts now and in fact we can help Joanne uh, by adding to it or or pulling from it and using it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, there is an appreciation now back, you know, we're back to the future in a sense that that SQL is actually a very powerful language because at the end of the day, it is structured data and sets of data that we're oftentimes manipulating and SQL is actually really great at that. Um, but, you know, SQL has its complexity. So you're going to have, you know, Jennifer, who's a really awesome SQL person, uh, and you're going to have uh, Joe, who, you know, kind of, understands a little bit of a, about a select statement, but really understands a problem. And then you're gonna have somebody else who's just really down, you know, in another end of that, right? So, you know, what we do with the, with Agenity in our catalog is first of all, you know, we're, we're gonna let, you know, Jennifer write the complex SQL if she needs to do so. Uh, and in our uh, environment, you can parameterize that. So you can make that SQL available to uh, to Joe or even somebody downstream from Joe who uh, doesn't actually understand the SQL but can use the SQL with a parameter, right? Um, and uh, so Joe might take Jennifer's SQL and modify it a little bit and, you know, kind of change the select statement or use uh, a calculation that she's built for, say, some really complicated ROI calculation and insert it into some other thing. Um, and then you get all the way down to the person who's actually uh, using uh, a table, right? A grid, right? And actually what we're doing, one of the things that's really kind of cool right now is if you think about, uh, you, you, you know, a grid sits on a set of data. Um, and, you know, when you take a, a grid and you sum it or pivot it, you're actually doing an operation that under the hood is probably a SQL operation. And yeah. so we're seeing these tools uh, like the use of a grid as a paradigm to manipulate the data. We're seeing those coexist with the uh, the deep SQL uh, you know statement that Jennifer wrote that she parameterized so Joe could work with it. So Joe passed it to somebody else who put it in a grid. And then they used grid functionality manipulate. They never wrote any SQL at all, but guess what? The end result of that grid manipulation was another data set that uh, you know, is used in the business. And all of that uh, is, uh, is stuff that we uh, see being able to collaborate around in the catalog. And in our world, we don't do any of the compute. So we're sitting on top of these incredibly awesome data platforms. So we sit on top of Snowflake and Redshift and, uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, Microsoft Synapse and Hive and, you know, a dozen others. Um, and the innovation on these data platforms, it's moving at a mile a minute. So we're trying to create and stay with their functionality. Um, and at the same time, uh, provide this mixture of experience where 
Jennifer and Joe, and I'll call the third person Jeremy since I'm on the J's. <laughs> uh, so Jennifer, who's the sequel guru, collaborates with Joe, who gets a parameterized sequel, collaborates with Jeremy, who uses a grid, and they all kind of can work together and their stuff can be all done. All the compute is going to happen in Snowflake or Redshift or you know whatever on the data platform, but their tool set, the collaboration, the catalog, is uh, is what somebody like us or the Genity can provide. And I think that's really where the, you know, when we when we move the business logic closer to the team, and the the data logic merges underneath, and now that becomes that shim layer. It's pretty cool because that's really where we we as as an industry sp spend way too much time arguing over the shim between those two things and and yeah. so by making that platform based and effectively you know what's coming down as business logic what's coming up is the data store data sources it's a it's a great that's the right place to collaborate and and uh, i i i definitely saw when i kind of read through the agility story i'm like ah makes yeah. sense now i can see why you know this is going to be a, a hot topic we, and we have a lot more to do, by the way, in, in this journey, because we're, uh, we're still early. But, you know, we do think that's interesting. And, you know, when I started in IT, you bought, you could, many companies, they bought a GL from one company, and they bought an order processing system from another company, and they bought a floor operation system from a third company. And that was the norm, right? And those yeah. were three different software industries right and then you know i mean sap came along and said well let's we're going to create one thing we're going to call it an erp and we're going to tie all this stuff together right and you know and and i implemented those things i remember trying to connect them and boy that was a pain <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know and okay sap has plenty of its words but the idea of connecting those things nobody would think today to buy an order processing system from one company a gl from another and a third uh, to you know, manage the, the production process. They're going to buy an ERP that's integrated, uh, you know, together. And I think that's the world we have now between engineers and analysts, right? You know, the in, there's a lot of innovation happening around pure engineering tools. Um, and some of our competitors, that's their thing. They have great engineer tools. I, you know, I appreciate that, right? But back to my, you know, situation where there's uh, ten Joes for every Jennifer, right? Yeah. or more. Uh, and if Joe is using a completely different tool set than Jennifer, you got to disconnect. And right now you've got the business users, even the BI tools, business intelligence tools are kind of sitting over on the right hand side. Um, they're not trying to tie uniformly into the, the engineering process. The engineers are sitting on the left hand side. And there's this, you know, world of disconnect between the two. So, our uh, our mission is to bring these two together and make it so that these things are seamless and make it so, like you, you, you know, the, the back to the the person who's going to look at you and I and say, you had a limited amount of compute, boy, what, what a <laughs> exactly. weird world. How did right? you ever survive? <laughs> How did you survive, Grandpa? Right? You know, uh, it'll be the same thing about you. What you mean? Your engineers were totally different than your analyst. How did they actually work together? Well, guess what? They didn't. And we want them to. Didn't. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, my my first gig doing it was when my dad was in tech. And so I was just like, we grew up on a farm and my dad got into, he went to the Radio College of Canada. So he was like the first one to leave the the farm family and, and you know, went and did tech, worked for hotel systems. And so he was doing relational database stuff with DBase. That was, that was yeah. pretty. And so as a, here I was like a 12 year old kid mucking around with my dad on DBase. And so my first job when I was 15 years old was doing data entry for a, a local police station uh -huh. because it was on DBase 3. And well. they said, you know, you're, we probably can't hire you because you're 15 because there's probably all sorts of weird regulatory boundaries around that. And I said, however, you're the only person in this town, aside from your father, that has DBase experience. So you get the job. And, you know, now years later, I look at like the value of living through the, the constrained systems. They taught me a lot more about where to move the logic in order to adapt to those constraints. Sure. And so I think the, the, what we are getting better at now, and you talked about it, is that the relationship of business analysts to data scientists is always going to be skewed. And so they, in effect, are the new constraint. And so how do we then move that constraint? So, I mean, and the funny thing is all these people that are doing this, they're using this data because they went to school and they learned about logistics and they read lots of Eli Goldratt and they learned about the goal and they, they've gotten, they've updated. They said, I learned about DevOps by reading Gene Kim, who ultimately was, this is all born of that, that system. And then the very thing what we're trapped by is that in the system that's generating this data to allow us to be lean, we actually have created the problem ourselves of a huge constraint in the practitioners versus the, you know, the, the analysts. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, so like, I love that little shout out to the goal, right? Like I still tell people to read that book and then like, I have to tell them that it was written in 1950 something. Right. You know, like, that's right. Cause I think it's a, uh, it is a, it is, it's like, it's an awesome, it's an awesome book, but yeah, this, uh, you know, this world of, uh, you know, it, it, this constraint problem is it, it still does exist, you know, cause it comes back to the black art of the, you know, of the, of what's my cloud budget, right. You know, the, uh, it might be unconstrained, but you know, it's not going to be unconstrained when, uh, you're, you know, 200% of uh, budget, right. You know, cause the, as far as I know, the budget is still a constrained, uh, you know, thing, right. Um, yeah. Year one is always like, Hey, look, you folks, I don't know what you do, but do what you got to do and just, and make sure that we get output. And then a year later, they're like, love the output, but you got a budget this year. And so we, we've all lived through the freedom land that was expensive experiments and they were needed yeah. to then allow us to say, okay, now our new constraint is, is price of, of platform and, and where we use that data. Well, what we see happening, and I don't know this is the perfect answer, but it's, you know, kind of the pragmatic world that I think companies go through is, uh, you know, uh, in these companies where they have thousands of analysts, you know, to engineers and, you know, a bunch of those, those are, those are kind of our sweet spot, big companies with a lot of that have, uh, you know, what we see them do is they, they, they're giving uh, each of those analysts a certain amount of compute scratch space, right? So they're like, you know, it's not complete chaos where they do anything and everything, but they all have a little bit of room to maneuver so they can kind of work their, you know, assumptions about uh, how they're going to, you know, spend and their constraints, you know, kind of within that. Um, 
And I think, you know, kind of things like that will, it will evolve. Um, but I do think that there's a certain amount of, you know, kind of, this is a, uh, a world of experimentation, you know, kind of, I was on talking to somebody who quoted the term, the iteration economy, right? And I think that, you know, kind of, I think that uh, I, I kind of like that term. Yeah. I think that fits well with uh, this kind of uh, evolutionary approach to how we use data. Um, but I think you have to have uh, understanding of data. And I think, you know, kind of being able to talk the language of data is going to be as important as learning algebra. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, I hope that amongst the, all the crazy things that our schools have to deal with right now, um, I hope that, uh, you know, kind of understanding data is something that, you know, that we, that we get better at. Um, There's a lot of people out there that ended up in, in the industry and in many industries, right. And, and they struggled through dealing with SAS in their statistics classes in second year. And they're just like, thank goodness, I only have to do this once and then I'm done with it. Not to realize that 10 years later, that would be the foundation, not necessarily SAS, but ultimately, you know, that style of, you know, now it's R and, and, and various platforms, but like that, that thing that we dreaded would come into use. You know, I always like to say like number of days since I've been in school X number of days since I've needed to know the Pythagorean theorem x like it means nothing to my day-to-day -day. however statistics probabilistic modeling stuff that i was like i mean i enjoyed it because i'm a little weird yeah. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of people really struggled and then ironically now those foundations come back whether they realized it or not that it really yeah. does help yeah and it's interesting because you know when i was in school i remember that everybody hated statistics and the few people who didn't hate it you know, wouldn't talk about not hating it because it was just like everybody hated stats, right? Um, and uh, um, and I don't know whether we couldn't see a practical use for it or not, but, you know, so I was just talking the other day uh, with my brother and, you know, I do, uh, uh, I have two brothers and we, we, once a week, we do this uh, Zoom call together, which is fun. And his daughter uh, came on and was talking, she's a senior in high school. And she was talking about her stats class and she was talking to me about how much she liked it. And I was thinking to myself, first of all, she's not your classic analytics person, you know, engineer type. Right. Yeah. But, you know, she really thought data and stats were interesting because she sees how important it is to her world. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, you know, like I, I put that on the on the, the there is hope you know, kind of a side of the ledger, right? Yeah. And so if you could sort of, as folks are coming through now and they're exploring, you know, whether it's, you know, post-secondary uh, or heading into first career, you know, what would you give as advice as to how to bring data into that that experience and, and the importance of, of how to embrace that? Well, so what I would say is, first of all, I think, you know, kind of the cliche, you know, follow your passion, right? So find the problem that you're interested in solving. Um, you know, think about the outcome, right? So whatever you're trying to do, I think that, you know, you get further in life if you're trying to deliver an outcome to a group of people or to, you know, whatever, the environment, you name it. Uh, 
And, uh, and then what influences that uh, outcome becomes the driver to the data that's going to be interesting to help you get better, right? So if you, if you understand what, you know, the area you're interested in, the outcome you're trying to deliver, and then you think about what is it that influences that outcome, that's going to point you at data that is important. And, uh, you know, I think if you start there, you're going to be on a really interesting journey, right? Because it's the, you know, outcome influence data is, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a set of connections that uh, it's important. It's how I got into it, right? Because I was trying to manage membership for an association way back in the day. And who's going to renew, right? right. It was a kind of classic question, you know, when are they going to renew? And, uh, you know, that's a big deal. It's, by the way, uh, now I'm in a subscription uh, SaaS business and who's going to renew? That's a really important. That's uh, a particularly question. important question to be and, able to have an answer to. And it better be almost everybody, by the way. Uh, and uh, so um, it's, uh, but, you know, it's, it's that outcome and thinking about the data that is, uh, you know, is important. And you know, sometimes it's just looking at the data itself, but, you know, kind of trying to relate the data to an outcome is the interesting thing. And I think that's why my brother's daughter was interested in SAS and, you know, in statistics is because she sees, and I think that that whole generation sees the connection between data and, you know, kind of results. I mean, uh, you know, data is everywhere you know uh, we're talking about test positivity rates on the evening news right and yeah. uh, you know kind of you know that's data right uh you know we're talking about you know the data in the uh you know the voting process of the elections and polls and you know there's just nothing in the news that doesn't have data in it today that's my sense yeah, I think the the important thing to find and to impart upon people that I try is that neither data nor purely human behavior will be the, the will what ultimately influences the outcome. It's a combination of both. That in the same way that we look at like, oh wow, that's neat. Bees create things in perfect hexagons. How do bees know math? You're like, I, I actually know uh, it's the math that figured out the bees. Yeah, right. But in the same way with, you know, I've been a longtime student of, of Kahneman and Tversky and, and, you know, the behavioral economics uh, vein of things where it's that beautiful pairing of behavioral heuristics, but using data to prove that it's actually a heuristic. The only reason we know that there are things like probability you know, and prospect theory and, and, and how this stuff works out is because we use data to yeah. measure the experience and said, huh, that's funny. You know that more times than not, this is, and, and that, that is statistics for most people, more times than not. Sure. That's, that's a perfectly acceptable way to describe a situation. And that's the most common way people say like, well, you know, more times than not, I'm going to do well if I try this. So they'll give it a whirl. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's the thing of, thankfully, as you, as your, your brother's daughter you know, describes, right, is that she could be the next Billy Bean who will take baseball information, combine it with data, and potentially unfurl power in an industry that may resist it at first, but then we'll see the value in both the human and the data experience to really get 
real value on the other side of all that stuff. Yeah, we we just have to use information. You know, we're in this crazy, crazy time. You know, in history, and uh, you know, I'm I'm an optimist, uh, so I think we're gonna, you know, look back and think how we, you know, got through it. But boy, we've got to innovate, and uh, you know, data that you know, data just tells you, you know, kind of things about what happened, and you know, the ability to look at that and kind of tease out why it happened. Uh, it, it is so, you know, so tremendously, you know, kind of important, right? So uh, that's, uh, that's where we, where we are, right? So, you know, it's a fun place to be. It certainly isn't what I started out to do, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And uh, it's really kind of fun uh, to be uh, working with a, you know, kind of a, a new company uh, or, you know, a newly formed version of a company and, and just to see you know, with this innovation on data platforms, you know, what like the snowflakes and the redshifts are doing, the demand for tools that work with that, it's just crazy right now. There's so much need. Uh, so we're, we're running a million miles an hour to, to make that easier to give, whether it's Jennifer or Joe or Jeremy to let them all connect to this data, irregardless of, of their uh, technical skills. Uh, and and here you are, Rick, uh, at the uh, at the place where data and innovation meet once again. Uh, and thank you very much for sharing your your insights. I I'm definitely I'm going to keep watching. We'll catch up, hopefully, uh, on the other side of of us. You know, as a as yeah. a world, you know, being in a better place. Uh, you know, we don't know how long it's going to be. We know it will come, uh, but. Uh, I'm excited by what you and the team are doing. And, uh, and actually, I kind of we hung on the data story so much. I there's actually so much organizational stuff I'd love to unpack with you in future about like how that bringing together the companies worked and and, uh, and I saw some of how you bring team members into different areas of this new organization, there really is like a ton to unpack there. And it's I'm sad that I I couldn't steal another hour of your time and get into that area, but maybe we'll do that again in future. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the one thing I'll say about it is that you know we live on Zoom, and uh, uh, it's amazing that we can, right? You know, and uh, you know, so uh, maybe we won't have to burn so much jet fuel in the future. That is, uh, I, I, I do see the real benefit that maybe uh, we can all spend a little bit more time at home. Uh, you know, and we won't feel like we're being forced to, uh, but we will certainly enjoy it when we have the freedom to choose. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much, Rick. This has been fantastic. And again, for folks that want to reach you, get a hold of you, uh, obviously we'll have links to, to yeah. agenda uh, in, in the show notes as well, but the best place to, to contact you if they want to do some follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. So of course, agenda, you know, agenda.com, we're active on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a Twitter feed. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. That's the best way to reach me. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people who've given me a lot of advice over the years. I try to help others. So, you know, I appreciate it when people reach out. Um, and that's the best way to do so. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Rick. And uh, yeah, for folks, definitely follow along. Uh, and like I said, we'll, we're gonna, we'll see you all on the other side of this, uh, this stuff. And there'll be a lot of fantastic data that we're going to make good use of uh, in getting there. Yeah, great. And Eric, you know, I really appreciate you having me. So thanks again.